0: welcome you're listening to in the room the podcast our host international moderator and mc veda sanasi creates a meeting point to amplify the valuable voices of our community from prominent icons to everyday people in the room is an opportunity to share their journeys their perspectives and boldest aspirations towards tackling global challenges ultimately contributing to rewriting the definition of leadership for the
1: 21st century ambition i've been trying to remember when was the first time that i encountered the word or the concept and i truly can't but i can certainly spot ambition in some of my earliest memories as a child which leaves me with a question is ambition something that's just inherently part of us encoded in our dna Or is it something that is ingrained in us so early on through society and parenting that we sort of assume it's a necessary part of being human? Well, it obviously is. It's kind of hard to conceive of life without some degree or form of ambition. And I suppose most of us can remember times in our lives when we were either too ambitious or not ambitious enough. Either way, it almost invariably came with a whole set of emotions doubt, anxiety, motivation, excitement. It is probably also fair to say that our overall well-being is very intricately linked to our ambition. Well, apparently, ambition is something that many people, many professionals, have been getting wrong. It's a topic I dive into with my guest, Mr. Nikolai Chen Nielsen. Nikolai is an associate partner at McKinsey & Company and also a leader of McKinsey Academy. On the side, Nikolai is also a researcher and an author, and in this episode, we will discuss his book, Return on Ambition, a Radical Approach to Achievement, Growth and Wellbeing, which he co-authored with another Nikolai, Mr. Nikolai Tillich. Well, Nikolai Nielsen and I revisited the very definition of ambition, and if you've ever wondered why are you unable to fully maximize on your ambition, you may just need to reconsider how you've been approaching it, as Nikolai explained to us. My name is Veda Sanasi, and I'm the host of In the Room, the podcast. Nikolai, thank you so much for making time for this. Um, such a pleasure to be talking to you today, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, unpacking the book that you've um, co-authored, "The Return on Ambition: A Radical Approach to Achievement, Growth, and Well-Being." But before we get into the gist of the matter. Um, as always I like to you know get the audience to know the guest a bit more and you know I have this segment that I call um the origin story so very curious to know your origin story so yeah tell us a bit more about Nikolai um you know your your upbringing and and your interests and and what were you thinking about um you know in your younger days
0: Yeah you know, absolutely uh, great to great to be here and have this uh, discussion with you um so who am i i'm uh, ethnically half danish half chinese uh born in brazil actually moved around quite a bit because of my dad's work i think i'm just moving now to my um 11th country um so i've always oh, wow. found that very exciting um feel very blessed to, to have experienced different parts of the world um i am moving from from new york to italy um i've been a management consulting at mckinsey for uh just under 10 years I'm actually uh, changing changing jobs um a new job will be um will be confirmed and uh made public in a in a couple of weeks it's going to be in a uh tech uh, mid-sized company that works within L&D and um and uh HR uh very much tech enabled um, and i've always loved writing it's funny it's not one of those things that you know in high school or in uh, university i I focused on I was always doing much more on the business side. Uh, I went to business school but it's interesting how you know later on in life these things kind of emerge and um, this is now my second book that um, that i've written um, and I just felt that for me personally, ambition has always been a big, big part of my life, and um, I, I researched the topic with my co-author for for more than five years, and we've been excited, uh, humbled by the reception it received. It, it, it was published two months ago, so still, you know, very
1: fresh, fresh off the press. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in a second in terms of the motivations, etc. You, you said you're changing jobs, so is that a change in uh, ambition that we're hearing here? <laughs>
0: It's, uh, I would say the overall ambition, what I'd like to do with my life, um, help people at a really big scale uh, in terms of personal development, leadership development, I, I that, that hasn't changed. But um, I felt both personally, professionally, that it was time for, for a change. You know, 10 years in a, in a job uh, is, is actually a, a relatively long time. Um, so I'm excited to come back to, to Europe and try something uh, quite a bit different.
1: How, what's your oldest memory of a time when you recall actively and deliberately thinking about your personal ambition?
0: Hmm. Well, it's it's interesting. As a child, um, I wanted to be a professional football player or soccer player um so as as young as probably five years old i was as young as i can remember i always had a ball at my feet like when i could stand i was always you know kicking something around the house and i remember at age you know five six in denmark where it was already there uh uh, a big part of my life this notion of being a professional football player had my idols um so my earliest memories are going to you know football camp going to training uh and just playing a lot a lot of football each day who
1: was your idol? I'm very curious to know now. I'm a big football fan as well. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I'm a, I am have the Brazilian side, uh, and I'm a Manchester uh-huh. United fan. Ah, so I we're going to get along. First. We
1: are going to get yes. along. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, for me, it, it was um, Peter Schmeichel. He's, he's Danish, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he uh-huh. moved to Manchester United from a Danish club called Brunby when I was about five. Um, and f- that was a huge thing, right? This is like a Danish player going to Manchester mm-hmm. United, and he was a big success there. Um, Denmark won the European Cup in 1992 as well so he was my first just idol because he was such a big figure in Denmark and then since then the, the Man United legends like Ryan Giggs um, I remember the 94 World Cup with Brazil mm-hmm. we had mm-hmm. players like Romario Bebeto
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: who also just amazing to watch
1: mm-hmm. so, so from that aspiration to management consultant for 10 years something changed there what changed
0: it was probably when I was 19, I think I made the decision not to be a professional or, or go for the professional football path. And I'd always been, um, I'd always done well in school, I'd always taken my studies seriously. So it wasn't a, a pivot in the sense of now I'm going to suddenly start focusing on on my studies in university. But it was a, it was a matter of relative priorities. I, as a teenager, you know, football was really all consuming. It was my ambition, it was training every day, it made me very specific about what I ate, what I didn't eat, what I did what I drank, what I didn't drink, what I when I went to sleep and so forth. So it was, it was definitely a it was very all-consuming. Um I remember when I was I think 18 and a half maybe, I was running on a treadmill while on holiday and I just had a big, big hip pain running uh, five kilometers, you know, running literally just over 20 mm-hmm. minutes. And that's when I think it had been creeping up on me. You know, deep inside I had known that it's probably not going to happen. I probably won't be as good as I had hoped for, but I hadn't really wanted to admit it to myself. But on that moment in the treadmill, I said to myself, if I can't even run this much without getting a hip pain, 20 minutes, I'm not built for it. I'm never going to be as good. So I made a big, that was a decision that I'm not going to go for it. And I didn't touch a football for at least two years after. I mean it was very it meant something different to me. It wasn't the it wasn't just a game, it was a profession. Yeah. So that was that was the moment I made the decision. And I actually didn't know what I wanted to do at the time beyond, you know, let me let me apply to university and don't have to have everything figured out on day one at university anyway. So let me just um, let me just apply. Mm-hmm.
1: And when you sort of gravitated eventually towards management consulting um, what inspired that? What motivated you there? It was definitely a process. A big part of
0: university beyond actually learning the topics was also learning about professions. Um, so I remember doing a lot of um, speaking with people. Um, I worked part-time in a, in a corporate uh, job at, at Merck, which is a Fortune 500 in Denmark. And I did an internship in investment banking. So it was very much trying things out. Um, I actually didn't know what, consulting really was um, early on in my studies, uh, even though people talked about it. So mm-hmm. for me, it was very much just trying it out. And what what I ultimately liked about consulting and why I applied um, for it was the, the intellectual curiosity, because I really enjoy having difficult problems that don't have an obvious answer, and then bringing new thinking, real problem solving, new perspectives, also learning, of course, from fantastic colleagues uh, onto the table. So I think I gravitated towards that very much from an intellectual curiosity point of view. I liked that you could travel. Um, and then I didn't know how long I would stay, but I really enjoyed the work and got to do more and more of the type of work I, I, I wanted to do in terms of leadership, development, culture change. And that's
1: why I stayed. Mm. So ten years in, in in management consulting. I'm going to assume here, without asking you your age, that you're somebody in your um, mid thirties, probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> at at what point did you feel the? You, you mentioned you you know you've always been interested in writing. But I'm curious to know that your desire to to re- research and and write about ambition was that a consequence of where where you were or uh, at sort of this stage in your life in your career or was it um just intellectual curiosity again on a topic that seemed interesting
0: a little bit a little bit of both because the writing part forces you to be very clear in how you basically what you're putting down how you formulate it and whether there's a logic, you know, this is, it's nonfiction. So of course it has to be engaging, but it also has to ultimately be grounded and, and, and make sense. So the intellectual curiosity for sure, like it, I like to grapple with topics and kind of solve them by getting it down on paper. Um, even if it's a blog post or something short, but for me, ambition has always been a big part of my life just very all-consuming you know from the football days um for better and worse sometimes it's a great gift but also sometimes it just feels almost too much Mm. and at university um being ambitious i I took a lot of extra courses uh, wanting to do more cover kind of all the bases and at, at my early 20s i i experienced burnout and it was also another pivotal moment after the treadmill incident this was in the apartment uh, in Copenhagen. I was in Copenhagen Business School. I remember just crashing on my couch and saying the words, I'm burned out, where mm. before that it wasn't really real because it was just kind of a gut feeling. I knew something was a bit off, but saying it you know, to myself, no one else was in the room, that suddenly made it very real, uh, made it a thing. Um, and at that time, I had more questions and answers. I, I was really wondering why Is something that's meant to be good my drive my ambition my desire to do uh, essentially good things for the world get in the way because that can't be right so at that time I had more questions and then professionally also personally I've always been very fascinated about leadership development personal development and reading reading a ton of books it it came I think very naturally Um, I always I I read the saying once you should write the book that you would want to read (laughs) and for me this was like a what book would I have wanted to read back then? Or would I still want to read today? And that's where um, the topic of ambition uh, came, came very, very clearly to the forefront.
1: You mentioned something that's good, and I'm definitely intrigued by by ambition as well, and, and whether it's good or bad. Before we have a conversation about whether or not it is a good thing or a bad thing, for the purpose of our audience, what, what, how would you define ambition? What, what is it? And what drives it? Where does it come from?
0: That's a, it's, it's a fundamental question. Um, and it's also something that we looked at you know, right at the beginning of the book. What do we even define as ambition? Um, and we have a pretty broad definition. Uh, we define as ambition um, as a, a, a strong uh, drive and yearning to achieve a future state that's different from today challenging to get to and personally meaningful so there's a lot of important aspects in in that in that phrase it has to it's, it's about that drive and this yearning that you have this innate feeling that you want to go somewhere um that it has to be a future state which is different from today right it's not it's not what you, where you are today um and equally important it has to be both personally meaningful uh, so it's not someone who told you you have to do this but you want to do it and also challenging to get to so you could argue graduating from high school may not be ambitious if it's just going to happen by itself maybe it will maybe it is ambitious if it's something that really requires work um so that is a broad definition of ambition it also means that Um, we're not saying that a certain type of ambition is, quote unquote, better or worse as long as you're not harming others. You know, anything really goes if, if you fit into that definition. Um, and to some extent, you could say ambition is somewhat neutral. I mean, it is this drive to get somewhere. It's probably more on the positive side, but, um, I think it's very, it's, I think it's very innate in human beings that, that there is something that we want to do, even if you're very, uh, let's say evolved and very reflective. I think people still would then call it more of a life purpose, but it's still something that you want to get to um, for the good of humanity.
1: Hmm, interesting, uh, because uh, yeah, y- you use the word innate, and I, and and I, and I'm intrigued as well. It, it, is ambition something that we sort of, you know, intrinsically have? It's innate. It's inside. Is it's something that's there? You know, no matter what, right? So even even a person who one may um, choose to describe as well. This is somebody who doesn't seem to have ambition. Are we saying that everybody has it, but maybe we just don't always articulate it as individuals using sort of a language of "Well, this is my ambition." Mm,
0: I think that's I think that's spot on. Um, there may be of some people who really might say they don't have an ambition. They they really let's say are very um, focused on the present and they have absolutely no kind of interest in trying to dictate. Where they, where they go and that things come. You know, you might have some people at that extreme, um, but I think for the vast majority uh, of, of us, we, we do have somewhere we'd like to go, some kind of ambition. I also do agree that the word ambition um, means different things to different people, uh, different things to different cultures. Um, that's why I harbor back on the on the two words of yearning and drive, right? If you kind of talk more about a yearning and drive to get somewhere in the future uh, and then maybe don't call it ambition, that, that would
1: also work. Um, for sure. Mm. I see. So yearning and drive is important, but taking you somewhere different in the future is equally important because in the example that you gave, you could, if you had limited your definition to it's just a yearning and drive, the person who says, well, I yearn to just live in the moment. When I wake up in the morning, all I want to do is to be present in the moment. That's probably not ambition by the definition that you're giving, which is that, but it's not taking you somewhere further into the future is that is that is that to a different state yeah
0: it's an interesting uh thought thought process because i'm just so what comes to mind is if you're really focused on that say, self-development or being mindful in the moment and ultimately you know i think if you do that you also probably want to many people want to achieve um, higher states of consciousness Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. um, if you're a monk you want to move towards nirvana i mean I'm, I'm smiling as I say, but you could almost argue that, that is, that's mm-hmm. the future state, which that's is different. You know, I'm being a bit yeah. cheeky, right? That's yeah. maybe not the, not the point if you're thinking no. about it in those terms. Yeah. But I think for the vast, vast majority, when we, we surveyed working professionals across mm. literally all types of industries, performing arts, music, sports, and of course, um, business, entrepreneurship, and so forth, the vast majority, I mean, low mm. 90%, uh, were saying that, yes, they do categorize themselves as, as ambitious.
1: I guess where I was really going with this, um, Nikolai, is, you know, uh, I've often heard people frame ambition as a value, right? So in the same way that I aspire to be excellent, a person of excellence, I, I have courage, I have integrity, I am ambitious. Right? I've, I've heard people, you know, in whatever it is, team building or, you know, doing a round of introductions saying, well, mm. that's a descriptor I would use to qualify myself, um, uh, as a, as an ambitious person, so I guess yeah. I'm just curious to know if you, if you think of it also as a as a as a value, or, or is it more you know something that as I was saying earlier, that's like that's sort of innate. Because you know the value of I don't know courage or integrity or excellence doesn't necessarily. I think we all have the capacity and and ability to be people of integrity and courage and excellence, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what we choose to. You know, does that make sense? Mm. Yeah,
0: it it definitely, ambition means different things for sure. I mean, you also have ambition as a noun, which is like a very specific thing that, you know, the the actual kind of state, the future state itself that you want to go towards. Um, I I would see it really, I would go back to at least for our, our definition, which is why I think we have such a high proportion of people agreeing that they are quote unquote ambitious. It is about that desire to get somewhere in the future that's different, that's challenging to get to. And that's really the underpinning of what we then focus on in the book, and how that drive can can both help and hinder you. Mm. Um, so y- you're right; it could be seen as a value. It's not. There's definitely different uh, degrees of ambitious. We, we definitely encounter people who say they are incredibly ambitious, mm. and some people say, "Yeah, they are ambitious, but it's just not a not a dominant part of their life. It's one aspect of many different aspects they have."
1: Mm-hmm. And. Would you say that it is, irrespective of how ambitious one is, would you say that you think it's a a necessity? It's something that somebody needs to have as a human? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it's
0: really about self-awareness and what if you're having a, let's say what we call high return on ambition, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about being fulfilled in life and being successful according to your own definition of success. So if someone just says that they don't actually feel they are ambitious, but are fulfilled really, you know, truthfully, um, that for me is, is of course, absolutely, absolutely ideal. So I don't, I don't think you have to be ambitious. Um, I think it's really about the self-awareness and doing with your life, what, ultimately makes you fulfilled and and feel successful
1: Mm. there's a quote i uh i saw in in the book um, where you said the um, your ambitions shape the way you work and the way you treat your loved ones and yourself say more maybe give an example even of of how that holds Mm. true no absolutely the the ambition as a drive to get you
0: somewhere if we think about it that way that drive can often be just ex- an extremely strong one, um, which can propel you forward, but it can also sometimes make you move, you know, too fast or too aggressively. So one of the things that I like to talk about is, or the way to think about it is, are you managing your ambition or is your ambition managing you? Because you have thought patterns, you have behavioral patterns. That are just who you are. Uh, They've been built up over time. They've often served you very, very well. But sometimes subconsciously, they can actually get in the way. So, so an example is um, one, one uh, gentleman we interviewed for the book is, is Sanford Biggers. He's a interdisciplinary artist based out of Harlem. He does, you know, fantastic, fantastic work. Um, But he talks about the, the um, challenge of independence. You know, he had as an ambition to be, uh, an artist be successful, but he also had a mindset. He talked about a romanticized idea of what it means to be an artist and be quote unquote successful as an artist. He thought, or he believed in his early career that every single brushstroke on the paintings, every single email that came out of his workshop, everything had to be done by him, had to have his finishing touch on it, uh, to really be authentic. While other people around him, they were setting up teams, they were literally building workshops uh, and being much more collaborative in how in how they went about it, uh, in, in terms of creating different types of works. Um, so it, it, his his ambition to be successful as an artist led him to believe that this is important that he had to be doing everything himself. And what he then ultimately learned through a, no, a number of aha moments, including just working way way too many hours, is that um, that that wasn't necessarily correct. You know, so you could say his ambition at that point wasn't. Fully helping him, it was driving him forwards, but it was also actually getting a little bit in the way.
1: Um, I'm also curious to know why the choice of the title, why return? I mean, you could have obviously written about just ambition in general, uh, but why is it why return on ambition? Why is understanding or even measuring as you sometimes I'm, um, uh, uh, you know, mentioned in the book. Wh- why is that important to understand the return on the ambition, or to be to be deliberate about the return on one's ambition? Mm. That is,
0: uh, it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I think ambition is is a bit of a white space in the personal development market. Um, when you think about ambition, it's often for ambitious people. It's there. Biggest investment in life, whether you call it the time they put into it, or the money, or the resources, the energy—you know—they're putting a lot into achieving their ambitions. But often there is not a structured way to think about what that person is getting out of it, the way you would return on investment, return on assets. So, uh, and if you look at the personal development literature, it's often not angled towards ambitious people it's just saying you have you know goal setting you want to uh, become a better leader it's 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 not looking at the nuances of how ambition drives you helps you and also gets in the way so that's I think one important area that you need to think very very critically deliberately and you literally put words on it put put a number on it um, we help the, the reader actually put a number on their quote unquote return we can talk about mm-hmm. that if, if that's interesting Oh, yeah, for um, sure. So I think that's incredibly important I also think we wanted to we wanted to angle the book towards a target market who may not always be as likely to buy personal development literature or have access to or the time for for coaching um for example Mm -hmm. um so that the return on ambition is also making it a little bit more um let's say concrete um and for at least some people they like to have a, a, a quantitative output as they measure their progress.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I will come back to that in a 2nd Um something interesting in, in this idea of measuring and, and setting a target and a goal, um, especially in the context of the struggle that you, you, you describe people often face, right, when you are ambitious. And, and you said that there are, if I picked up correctly, four reasons you said that why, why ambitious people struggle. Can you maybe comment a bit on that? I think you talk about like the inability to like understand what is ambition and, and sometimes that you know people can be ambitious about or, or ambitious people tend to think that they need to be ambitious about everything and that becomes a bit overwhelming which is why I was saying it's interesting when you talk about measuring yeah. and setting future targets on ambition how, how do you not become over ambitious about your exactly. ability to get returns on your ambition you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's 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 definitely a,
0: too much of a good thing uh, is is no longer helpful. And um, ambition, again, I, I think it is sometimes misunderstood. So having just an open conversation about what it is and and what is your ambition um, is this really your ambition according to your definition of success or is it more you know based on what you see around you um, based on what society might say is is successful. Uh, but I think asking yourself critically, that, that's one thing that um, you ask what gets in the way. You know, Asking yourself critically and truthfully what's your ambition, I think, is really, really important. And then also being very honest with yourself about, for example, the size and the timeline. Because oftentimes, ambitious people, they set the timelines themselves like it's relatively arbitrary but they say mm-hmm. i want to launch a company or mm-hmm. uh, i want to pick up a skill or hobby or, or learn a new language and i want to do x by you know one month or three months or by the end of the year and and that's again it's down to deliberate choices it's not saying it's better or worse but is this actually stressing you more out than, than it's helping you and i also think that ambitious people oftentimes i mean i recognize this in my life we we try to do too much at once so just asking very very uh Honestly, am I trying to do too much, uh, and is the incremental you know task or 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 initiative I'm taking on is it is it helping me, or is it actually pulling it down? And I've definitely had that moment of you know too much is just it's it's really not helping me at all, and it's infecting my ability to do some of the other things I want to do in life. Mm-hmm.
1: And it kind of goes back to that awareness piece you were mentioning earlier, right that if you grow the awareness and you can identify that you are indeed, indeed um, being unrealistically ambitious about everything, yeah. hence why it gets overwhelming, right? So sort of dial dial back a little bit. Yeah, it's an interesting one
0: because we get the question, does this mean I should be less ambitious? And, yeah. and I, I think the, absolute, <laughs> the answer is absolutely not. It's not mm-hmm. about being less ambitious. It's, it's about being much more deliberate because you don't want to be – Having a miserable life, or feeling exhausted, or not having time for friends, uh, or vice versa, some people actually they feel like they're not achieving their goals, you know, as, as quickly as they could. Um, but then they're really doing well in the other other dimensions. You know, they're doing really well in terms of personal development, and they actually have a really, really good balance in, in the in the life. So I don't think it's about saying I want to be less ambitious. Uh, it's it's much more about being intentional and deliberate about what does that actually mean for me, so that you can look back and
1: and you know feel like you lived a lived a good life. Mm-hmm. And you can be more focused about it uh, as well, right? There's something that we've been sort of discussing quite a bit at work these days is, you know, to your point, right? When you are, as an organization as well, when you are super ambitious, right? You want to be one of the best. So you want to be the best at everything. And yet when you Mm. need to allocate resources, there's only so much resources you have and there's only so many places you can allocate them. So we were having an interesting conversation about Hey, what are the things that we are gonna be okay scoring a B minus on? And then one of my colleagues was like, yo, I've never had this as a goal that I'm gonna settle for yeah. a B minus. And it's 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 fascinating, right? How we are sometimes conditioned to think that you absolutely need to be excellent at at everything.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely and it's almost a foreign concept to kind of lower the bar and again i wouldn't say it's lowering the bar it's just being much more i mean i think it's being yeah. much more smart about yeah. your time and about yeah. what you're
1: focusing on for. yeah 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 and that element of being realistic as well right yeah um something else that caught my attention the moment i saw it was these frenemies that you talk about <laughs> the seven frenemies <laughs> um tell our audience well, what are these frenemies and, and how do they get in the way on uh, of the return on our ambition.
0: Yeah, it's a big it's a big part of the book. Um, the first part talks about the return, and we talk about the importance of balancing three areas: um, your achievement, your growth, your well being. Um, because that's also very much driven by the data and driven by by research that people, ambitious people who feel fulfilled and successful uh, over time, they balance achievement, growth, and well being, and they're mm-hmm. very conscious about. Are there any dips uh, across these three? So that's kind of step one. What is, what am I currently, where am I at today? Am I high, low, where are the opportunities uh, across achievement, growth, and well-being? But then the second question is what gets in the way of my ambition? And right? mm-hmm. how can I, how can I see what's uh, holding me back? And we have the concept of frenemy um, because we found that ambitious people have um, similar thought patterns, similar behaviors that have often helped them get to where they are. They've helped them in the past. Uh, things like competitiveness and things like we talked about independence with Sanford, um, perseverance. You know, we talk about these seven, seven uh, facets, but because of the fact that you're ambitious and because you have this drive and because you want to get to this future state, that's different. Um, they can often be overplayed. So they become an enemy. Mm-hmm. They, be, they, they, they literally get in the way. And that's why the concept of frenemy, I think is, is, really the, the main thing for ambitious people to think about in terms of what gets in the way. Um, Sanford had the, the frenemy of um, independence, and it's a good thing, right? Independence had helped him a lot become a successful artist, and he enjoyed being in solitude working on his pieces. But it also held him back uh, as his challenges became more complex. And you see the same thing with competitiveness, right? It's Competitiveness can be a wonderful gift, um, but in many cases, it, it can be overplayed. Perseverance, the ability to work hard. You know, I had that, which was helpful, but then it also became, um, it led me to, to burn out. Mm. So we have these seven frenemies, yeah.
1: Uh, so i'm not sure if you talk about it in in the book but it's the idea that you can make these you can convert these frenemies into just friends um or is it that they always sort of live in that duality but it's about sort of figuring out um uh, becoming aware again of which of those duality can occasionally drag you down it is it is both um The ones you have most of people
0: typically recognize about at least around three, sometimes four, um, frenemies, sometimes even more. Um, and I think the first thing to, to understand is that they are part of who you are and they've, they've been built up over time. There's a lot of subconscious mindsets that, that, that you have that make this uh, frenemy come out more strongly than others. Um, it is a balance because you do need, you need to have some of it, but not, not too much of it. So it's, it's definitely not about saying I want to eliminate of frenemy, and I don't want to be competitive anymore, um, it's actually making sure that you have the friend side,
1: but it doesn't become too much. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. So that, that thing that you said earlier around anything that's good, but when it becomes too much, then it's not yeah. it's it, It's not that good anymore and, and probably not sustainable e- either. Right. Correct. And interestingly, some people
0: don't have the frenemy. And we would also argue that you need some of it um, to be mm, to, to help you. So some people, for example, competitiveness one, um, I personally don't feel competitive, um, which also means I'm typically quite laid back and not that stressed. But also, I found myself needing to lean in more and say, hey, we really need to whether it's win this proposal or, you know, make sure this is where I need to actually go in and say, that this is, this is something we need to push on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had interviewees who talk about convention, you know, they've always just been out of the box and totally um, doing their own thing, but they also sometimes find that they, they, they do need to sometimes follow, or at least understand kind of the more well-trodden path, don't reinvent the wheel and so forth.
1: I was just going to ask you, how did you do 10 years of management consulting at McKinsey and not be competitive? <laughs> <laughs> it's a competitive environment for sure, um, but no,
0: for me, it's I, I enjoyed my time there. I, I think the way you stay there for a long time is first of all, you of course do great work that you you love to do with colleagues and clients, but you have to find the balance. You know, you have to find a personal operating model mm-hmm. that allows you to be who you are and be be happy. Um, so it, it took some time, right? I think McKinsey also offers a lot of support to help people actually figure out. What what works for them, um, and interesting you say it. Um, competitiveness in McKinsey, it, of course, it's there, but it's also, on the other hand, there's no upper limit for um, how many people we we designate, promote, um, elect to partner. Uh, in many organizations, I'd actually say that there's a very finite number of uh, C-suite jobs, for example. And there, I've I've probably seen more you know classic competitiveness than I have in uh, in uh, in McKinsey. Hmm.
1: Interesting. I want to talk a little bit now um, about the third focus of the book, which is how, how does one increase return on on ambition? Right. So I, I hear the the awareness piece. Right. Understanding, knowing what gets in the way, and and my mentor usually would say, awareness precedes choice. Now that you are aware, you can make more conscious, deliberate choices. Right. But it seems mm. that, you know, you, you've you got some other additional thoughts around how, how do how does one increase return on, on ambition? So, yeah, how does one do that?
0: Yeah, so the third part of the book is, is exactly around that topic. How do I increase it now that I know more? And um, we, we put together a, a toolbox that has four tools um, about this topic. And, and part of the, you know, our ambition or vision with the book is to more you know, democratize developmental coaching to bring some of these tools to a much, much bigger group of people. Um, I'll definitely acknowledge that nothing you can't self coach yourself the way you can. It, we wouldn't substitute a, a highly qualified coach, right? There's still a lot of beauty and magic that a coach can bring or a mentor. Um, but at least some of the step of the way you can get, in our opinion, with these tools um, and have some, some self coaching sessions. Um, So we put together just a lot of reflective questions that essentially help the reader guide them, guide through what is important uh, for them. And it starts with the first tool called philosophy of ambition. And, you know, that's a big term, but it's all about really defining what it is that you are trying to get towards, and not necessarily set a a destination, given that the world moves so quickly and you really don't know what's going to happen in the future, but more setting a direction, right? What's the direction for your life, for your ambition? And we asked the reader to do some really deep thinking and, and formulate a number of statements that uh, are true for them, um, a minimum one up to seven. And some of the statements might actually be somewhat contradictory. And that's also the nature of ambition that you do want to do different things. And oftentimes it's hard to say, this is like the one thing that characterizes me. Like I am an author or I want to be a good husband or et cetera, et cetera. So we ask them to do a number of these statements and keep adding them until they feel like they've, they've completed what, what's important to them. Um, so it's quite, quite deep stuff. A number of these self coaching sessions.
1: I want to talk a little bit about that self-coaching. As you know, coaching is becoming obviously increasingly more um, sort of mainstream and accepted um, in in, in the professional world. Um, Why is self-coaching so important? And is that something that you're speaking from from experience uh, as well, or is it just from the research? It's a bit of both. I mean, the research definitely shows
0: the importance of self-awareness, um, making the unconscious or subconscious making it much more conscious, putting putting words on it. We also found in our research that people who took regularly took the time to reflect on their ambitions were, I think, two times less likely to be uh, or 50% as likely to be uh, stressed out. And, and, and there was a similar number on burnout. So our research other research definitely talks about the importance of being self-aware, knowing yourself uh, and understanding your surroundings, understanding how you interact with other people. Um one ex- one one aspect of that is around emotional intelligence, um which is a lot of research on around the last, you know, 30 years, but there's other aspects too. Um Bob Keegan from Harvard talks about different stages of of adult development and a lot of the development from one stage to another even though it's very hard to do it takes time but it is around awareness and it's about being conscious of yourself and your others um, and how you relate to one another
1: if you are your self coach how do you build awareness of the things that you know you, you just don't know mm-hmm. right What well, you don't yeah. know you don't know how you can't build awareness of that on your own right exactly we can't ask the question uh you know i am aware of my biggest
0: gaps i mean to some yeah. Yeah, people don't know <laughs> Uh, no it's a great question it's it's done on the pure self-coaching um, method it's done very much through uh, stories so the seven frenemies have a lot of examples where people have had wake-up calls um, where they've realized sometimes with you know drastic events happening in their life that um, they weren't actually managing their ambition very well like it really made them sit up and take notice Um and People can learn through the stories of others, right? That, that's one one way to do it. The other is that we also do encourage um, the self-assessment goes quite deep. I do think that self-assessments um, can uncover patterns of behavior that you have that you might not be aware of, but when you see it, you say, oh, yeah, that's that's actually very true. So when we, when we ask people to, for example, put a number, there's 30 questions in the first one. Um, where do they ultimately rank in terms of achievement, growth, and well-being? There are usually a couple of aha moments when people say, wow, I'm, you know, I'm pretty low on this one um, or I'm pretty high on this one. So I do think asking the right questions at a deep level, you, you need to ask a number of questions that all correlate to the same outcome. But um, that can give an aha moment as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikolai, when you spend this amount of time researching something like this and obviously being inspired and motivated sort of from your own personal life, I I presume when you walk out of that experience and you have the book and and the framework out there, it's almost inevitable that you put some of that stuff into practice yourself. So I'm just curious to know how how has this um, uh, sort of affected you, changed you, um, what are some how have you readjusted your your ambitions? Um uh, if at all. Yeah.
0: No, for sure. I think I think managing one's return on ambition is is a lifelong journey. I mean frenemies are part of us and I have a number of frenemies, so even though I'm aware of them, it doesn't mean that they don't they don't pop up in, in, in once in a while. So for me it's you know definitely something that I just continue to be aware of and 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 you know uh try to try to do the best I can every day. I mean, personally, the biggest change has probably been in what success meant. Um, mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. been convention, um, which is the kind of ability to follow a well-trodden path and achieve. Success in the eyes of society is or, or the risk of doing what you're not meant to be doing. I think I followed that path for quite a while. Um, for example, wanting to get straight A's for no better reason that that was just kind of what you do. But in yeah. reality, maybe straight A's isn't the answer and you could have spent the extra time starting a company. Right? There's a lot of stuff you yeah. could have done instead. Yeah. So I took some time to actually break free of convention and both within McKinsey, you know, I took some time off the traditional consulting path. I um, wrote a book um, before I Return on Ambition. I wrote a book at McKinsey with a couple of, of uh, colleagues, which was just kind of, it was a bit different. Uh, let me put it that way. So mm-hmm. it, it took time for me to really push myself to do what I really wanted to do. And it, it meant, you know, risks. It meant a slower um, progression in the firm. But but that was what I wanted to
1: do. Mm-hmm. Nikolai, if now that we are towards the end of this podcast episode, the audience still chooses not to buy your book, what is one thing you would still ask them to go do about ambition? One thing I would ask them to do. Um, we talked about frenemies.
0: I think being aware of frenemies is is really important. And then the one thing I would ask them to do is to... Um, Uh, be aware of them not conceptually like oh yeah i get it i have a bit of competitiveness but be aware of it in the moment um and that's actually the fourth tool we talk about the frenemy radar you know think of your Mm -hmm. yourself as a radar like a plane uh, constantly scanning for for frenemies so i would encourage readers or listeners sorry, to um to challenge themselves that whenever they feel a strong sensation a gut feeling or you know a quicker heartbeat when they feel a frenemy is Creeping up on them to take a moment to pause and then actually make a decision that hopefully is much more conscious, deliberate, and and they manage their frenemy as opposed to their frenemy managing them.
1: Nikolai, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, this was wonderful. It's always thank you for the opportunity to to pause and, and actually think about my own ambition um, as well and 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 becoming a bit more aware of of the of the frenemies as well. Um,
0: you know, I think... No, it's a pleasure speaking. I'm very happy to have had this opportunity with you, better.
1: Pleasure. Who knew that so much could be packed in one innocuous-looking word like ambition? And there is more to discover. So be sure to check out Return on Ambition, A Radical Approach to Achievement, Growth, and Well-Being" by Nikolai Nielsen and Nikolai Tillich on Amazon or hopefully in your nearby bookstore. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and manage your ambition well.
0: Join us next time, In The Room, as we co-create the journey to enable your life's mission.